God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. We're continuing our series on 1 Peter. And the section I want to focus on today is those great words that Peter gives. He says this, Always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that you have. Those great words. Always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and with respect. Sometimes that's the tougher part. But sometimes giving the answer is hard too because you're not quite sure what to say. And so uh, today is going to be a little bit different type of a sermon, more of a teaching sermon than a proclamation sermon. And we're talking about um, the resurrection. So in your bulletins there, you'll have this little handout here. I encourage you to pull that out because we'll be following this along for the sermon. It comes from uh, Jay Werner Wallace, uh, who is, uh, he's founded the website Cold Case Case Christianity, has also written a book by the same title. Um, Jay Werner Wallace was in our valley a couple couple months ago and presented on this very same topic. So the information I have here is from him. He is a retired Los Angeles police detective, and he's actually gotten uh, national uh, attention for his ability to solve cold cases. And what he does is he takes evidence from way back when and pieces it all together and is able to find, in most cases, the killer. Uh, J. Werner Wallace uh, grew up an atheist. Did not believe in God, did not believe in Jesus, none of it. And one day someone challenged him and said, you know what, you're you're making fun of Jesus all the time. Why don't you investigate him like you investigate one of your cases? So he did. And he found out that the circumstantial evidence for Jesus was overwhelming. How many of you watch those like those uh, cop shows, right? Watch the cop shows? And some will say the phrase, well, it's just circumstantial evidence. Right? Have you heard that phrase? The majority of cases are, are solved and the majority of convictions are done because of circumstantial evidence. So circumstantial evidence is uh, not direct evidence. Direct evidence is an eyewitness testimony. I saw this guy shoot the gun at this person. That's direct evidence. Circumstantial evidence is all the other stuff that pieces together. It's ballistics evidence. It's uh, evidence of uh, someone having shot a gun. You can tell that from their their hands and things like that. There's circumstantial evidence. And so what J. Werner Wallace found out, and what I want to share with you, is that the circumstantial evidence of the resurrection is overwhelming. So what I want to do is kind of give you an example of what circumstantial evidence looks like. Uh, some time ago, my dad served uh, in the Coast Guard Reserve as an investigator. And his job was to solve crimes that were in the Long Beach Harbor area. So I'm going to present to you one of his cases. I'm going to present to you the evidence. And as I present the evidence, I'm going to ask you if you think the person is guilty or if you think the person is innocent until proven guilty. Okay? So here's the scenario. A gentleman calls in a distress signal. His boat is sinking. Coast Guard responds. But by the time the Coast Guard arrives, the man has been rescued already by another boat. His boat has sunk. It's a pretty expensive boat, and he files an insurance claim. So my dad's job is to find out whether the boat sunk by natural causes or the guy sunk his own boat. So first piece of evidence. 
They interview the guy. The guy says there was a rogue wave that swamped his boat, and that's why his boat sunk. But on that day, no other boats in that area report any rogue waves. Nothing. So how many of you here think the guy's guilty? Raise your hands. Okay, all right, so you guys, the, the, the prosecuting attorneys want you guys in the jury box, all right? How do you guys think the guy's innocent? Guys, innocent until proven guilty. Innocent until proven guilty. Okay. Fair enough. Innocent until proven guilty. All right, next piece of evidence. All right, the weather on that day was really calm, clear, beautiful Southern California sunny day. All right, how many think the guy's guilty? How many think innocent so far? Innocent until proven guilty. Okay, all right, very good. Next piece of, of circumstantial evidence. Next, next piece of circumstantial evidence. The boat was a fairly new boat, only a couple of years old. And not only that, it was a really nice, expensive boat. Not the type of boat you would expect to sink. <clears throat> How do you think the guy's guilty? <laughs> How do you think innocent? He's still innocent. Innocent until proven guilty. The evidence is it's just not. It's not there. Not not beyond reasonable doubt. Okay. All right. Next piece. There is just enough funkiness with what with this boat issue that my my dad started doing some work. Finds out the guy missed his last payment on the boat. Okay, so now, how do you think the guy's guilty? How do you think it, oh, still innocent, innocent until proven guilty. That's not enough evidence to convict someone. Okay, all right. Next piece of circumstantial evidence. Uh, Coast Guard sent some divers down to the boat. And on the hull of this boat, they found a perfectly round hole in the hull of the boat. So not caused by like hitting a rock or some Southern California iceberg, right? Perfectly round hole. Okay. How many of you think guilty? How many of you think still innocent? Innocent until proven guilty. Okay. Still innocent. So I think what we can positively say is there was foul play involved with this boat, right? Because it's, it's a perfectly round hole. Not, not, this is not some random accident. Okay. With the circumstantial evidence of the perfectly round hole, the Coast Guard got a search warrant for this guy's house. This house, they found a drill in his toolbox. With the drill was a three-quarter inch bit that matched the size of the hole. And they found, uh, uh, what do you call that, microscopic evidence of fiberglass that matched the boat. All right. How many think he's guilty? All right. How many think could be someone else? Could be some. Could be. Could be someone else. Could be someone else. If you still think the person is innocent, every defense attorney in this valley would like you on the jury board. Sure enough, uh, they arrested the guy, and uh, he was convicted of insurance. Fraud, but that's how circumstantial evidence works. Oh, sure, why didn't do it? Uh, <laughs> it could have been somebody else. It could have been somebody else. 
so that they would see blood and some water come out, or the blood mixed with water. This is what you expect to see a body that is crucified. So the eyewitness testimony makes sense now, even though it didn't make sense back then. Circumstantial evidence says that Jesus really did die on the cross, which is important because you need death before you can have a resurrection, right? So here's the second doubt. Jesus died, but the disciples imagined his resurrection. This is the hallucination theory. So Jesus dies on the cross, and his disciples were so distraught, one of them says, hey, I think I see him alive. And then one says, oh, I saw it too. The third one says, oh, I saw it too, right? It's a group hallucination. And the problem with that is this. Groups don't hallucinate. I mean, have you ever woken up with a really funky dream? And you told your super funky dream to your friend, and your friend says, I have the exact same dream. Right? That never happens. Even if you happen to take the same shrooms, that does not happen, right? You have different dreams. I'm not recommending taking the same dreams. Don't get me wrong. But groups do not hallucinate. It just doesn't happen. The second thing is this. There's no corpse. There's no corpse. You need a body to be dead. And there's no body. The body's gone. This is something that everyone, even the enemies of Jesus, agreed to. The body's gone. So hallucination theory doesn't work very well. Doubt number three. Jesus died... But the resurrection is just a legend. It's the myth, right? So Jesus dies, and his uh, disciples, they write about him, and they say Jesus was a great person, and uh, he taught great things. And then the next generation comes along and says, you know what, Jesus was a great person, and he did miracles. Next generation comes along and says, Jesus was a great person, he taught great things, he did miracles, and he rose from the dead, right? That's the myth theory. It's a game of telephone. The story kind of grows and grows and grows and gets told and told and told. And a lot of people believe this about Jesus. But there are a couple problems. There's some circumstantial evidence against that doubt. The first is this. It's not enough time for a legend to develop. Legends take time. Because you need the first people, the eyewitnesses, to die off first before the legend can develop. Right? How many of you saw Michael Jordan play basketball? He was great, right? Do you remember the time when he jumped from the half-court line and slammed up? No. No, it never happened. It never happened. But he did jump from the free-throw line and he slammed up, right? But if there was no video evidence, the next trainer should be like, oh yeah, he jumped from the three-point line and slammed up. So you need time for legends to develop, for myths to develop. And there was not enough time. We can prove that because if you turn the back slide there, there are quotes from people who are not followers of Jesus. And they testify to what was taught about Jesus. first quote is from a guy named Phallus in 52 AD, just 20 years, less than 20 years after Jesus less than 20 years. He says, we don't have the actual document from him, but a guy named Julius Africanus had the original document, and he quotes it in his writing. He says that the darkness of the crucifixion, Jesus was crucified, darkness came over the whole land. Gospel writers testify this, 
and other people do too. And this guy says, well, it wasn't because of Jesus, it was just a solar eclipse. But what that proves was, the gospel writers are correct. There was darkness over the whole land when Jesus was crucified, and lots of people noticed it. Second one, Mara Bar Serapion writes in 70 AD, compares Jesus' death with those of Socrates and Pythagoras. So Jesus was known to be an excellent teacher in 70 AD. Third, Josephus. This is probably the best one. Josephus was a Jewish historian. He writes in 93 AD. He talked about John the Baptist and how John the Baptist died. So that matches the gospel evidence. Talks about James being the brother of Jesus who was called the Christ, the Messiah. So Josephus acknowledges that Jesus Christ lived, taught great things, and people thought he was the Messiah. Describes Jesus as a wise man and the Messiah, and Josephus describes the resurrection. Now, remember, Josephus was not a Christian. But he's describing what Christians taught and believed in the first generation of those who saw Jesus. This is critical evidence. Pliny the Younger writes to Emperor Trajan, describes committed beliefs of early Christians in the Roman Empire, including the resurrection. Cornelius Tacitus in 116 AD retells the story of the crucifixion, names Jesus as Christus, the Christ, and describes the execution of early Christians who believed in Jesus. And Fledgeon in 140 AD writes about the history of Jesus and his ability to predict the future. And he also uh, is quoted Julius Africanus, describes the darkness of earthquakes and the crucifixion. So the circumstantial evidence of Jesus and the resurrection from people who didn't believe in Jesus is growing. It's accumulating. That's critical. Because when your enemies say, oh yeah, they taught this, it proves that what happened, what developed the teaching of the resurrection was very, very early. Too soon for a legend to develop. It's based on eyewitness testimony. The second part is this, and you're not going to like this part, but it's true. But you're not going to like it. If you were to develop a legend of the resurrection of Jesus in that time and era, you would not have the first eyewitnesses of the resurrection being women. Because in that time and era, a woman's testimony was not allowed in court. Very sad to say. So if you were to develop a legend, you would have someone famous being the eyewitness of the resurrection, the first eyewitness. That's not. It's Jesus' most devoted followers, most courageous followers, the ones who showed up at the tomb first, the women. So if you were to develop a legend in that time and era, that's the last way you would do it. And the only reason explaining why the testimony, the gospel testimony, the eyewitness testimony says that women were the first people to see Jesus rise from the dead was because the first person to see Jesus rise from the dead were, were women. That's how it happened. Much the disciples chagrin. Another piece of evidence. So we go from doubt three to doubt four, the back side of your page there. Doubt number four is this. Jesus died but the disciples lied about the resurrection. Okay, so this takes into account that the resurrection testimony is early and consistent. So this doubt says, okay, okay, it wasn't a legend. It didn't just grow over time. They lied about it. They made it up. 
But there's a couple issues, some circumstantial evidence against that. First is this. The disciples could not have removed the body. The eyewitness testimony is clear. Jesus died, he was buried, they put guards at the tomb. And Matthew tells us that the enemies of Jesus said, oh no, no, you guys stole the body. And the disciples' response was, we could have stole the body, you posted guards. What that proves is this. Everyone acknowledges the tomb is empty. Because the eyewitness testimony was written at a time and era when anyone could have gone to Jerusalem and seen the tomb. And to fight against the resurrection, to fight against the Christian church, people could have said, well, he's not alive, look, it's right there. But no one ever said that. Everyone acknowledges the tomb is empty. And the disciples could not have stolen, stolen the body because the guards were guarding it. Second piece of circumstantial evidence. The locals would have known. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, Jesus appeared to the twelve and to some others, and then one time, 500 people. 500 people. What, he, what he's saying is this. If you don't believe me, ask them. If you don't believe me, ask them. And they'll tell you because they saw him. Another piece of circumstantial evidence. The final point is this. The disciples had no motive. What did they get for claiming that Jesus Christ rose from the dead? What was the, what was the motive? Right? Every crime's got a motive. It might be insurance money. It might be something else. Every crime's got a motive. What's the motive for the disciples? What did they get for claiming that Jesus Christ rose from the dead? And what they got was death. That's what they got. The Roman Empire came to them and said, recant. Because remember, in that day and era, the Romans worshipped lots of gods. Lots of gods. They did not have a problem with the Christians saying that Jesus Christ was a god. What they had a problem with was the Christians saying, Jesus Christ is the one true God. That was the issue. And so imagine, imagine you're making up a story. Imagine I want to tell you that my dogs can walk on water and speak. And if someone came to me and put a gun to my head and said, are you sure? My response will be, well, they speak to me. I mean, I understand so how they bark, right? And then um, when they walk on water, they just kind of run through it real fast because their legs are real short. It looks like they're walking on water. When the Roman Empire goes to the disciples, goes to the eyewitnesses and says, are you sure? And if you say you're sure, we're going to crucify you just like we crucified Jesus. They didn't step back. They didn't turn away. Every single one of them died with a confession on their lips, Jesus Christ is Lord, and he's risen from the dead. And people, lots of times, will die for something they believe in. They will. No one dies for something they know is a lie. Nobody does that. Everyone at some point will turn around and say, oh, just kidding, sorry, just, just kidding. And none of the disciples do that. They're all killed because they said, we have to confess what we've seen and what we've heard. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. He's risen indeed. He's risen indeed. 
So a little bit of a different sermon today, different type, different style. But I want you to be able, if someone asks you, to confess the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Because Jesus Christ is risen. He's risen indeed. indeed. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you.